Madeline, I need to speak to Madeline once. She's not here. Oh, thank God. Wait, you wait a damn minute. Oh, gee golly wow. There's not a storyline here. What the fuck is going on? You got your acoustic guitar to go on the corner, bitch? <laughs> oh, Stefan, watching you crumble is so embarrassing. <laughs> Hey everyone, welcome back to Rebel Without a Closet, my labor of love dedicated to the queer and queer-adjacent films that turn me into the light-as-a-feather, stiff-as-a-board emergency room accident that I happen to be. I swear, it it didn't go well. Let's just... we lost a good guy that day. Continuing our full fantasy realness month, we are here with the 1996 film The Craft. Take a listen to the trailer. It's a lot darker than the movie would be, so take a listen. To the other kids at St. Bernard Academy, they were the girls who didn't belong. Whatever you do, stay away from them. Why? They're witches. But after years of being on the outside... Why'd you lie about me? I don't want to go out with you again. Please, stop begging. It's pathetic. Four girls are about to discover the dark side. You ever heard of invoking the spirit? Black magic. We can make things happen. I mean, this is it. This is real. Columbia Pictures welcomes you to the witching hour. Check it out. Her spell is working. Sit. <laughs> So that trailer didn't really give much away, uh, which is kind of a benefit. I mean, if anything, it was just more or less the narrator's sultry voice, and I know what that life's all about, you know? Anyway, Chad, Stuart, PJ, and I discussed the craft, everything from Nancy's inevitable breakdown to the guy they hit with a car. Did they? We'll find out. Take a listen. I'll be back at the end. I didn't hear a word that Stuart just said. I mouthed it. You son of a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's good on task. I have notes again. I was trying to be more prepared this time. Amazing. So I I wish that I was able to, like, first off, I've seen this movie a thousand times, which is fine. I just wish I saw it recently. Yeah, I only saw the first, like, half of this movie recently. I don't know why you didn't start earlier. I went shopping. And I got, I lost track of time. (laughs) Oh, I was being selfish. How how dare I be selfish on my day? My Sunday, God's day. (laughs) Rewatching it, do you guys feel any different about the movie? Did you notice anything? Like, it has a nostalgia sense for me, but I think that 
as like an interesting kind of plot. Like it still holds up. Mm -hmm. I love this movie when I was younger. He went 96. So I remember seeing it when I was a preteen and being like, this is amazing. I want to be part of the occult. Um, Yeah. (laughs) And then later on, like watching it recently, like last two days, I still love it. There's such a sense of nostalgia about it as well. Cause I can remember what I was like back then. I I enjoy the movie. I watched it this time for the podcast, trying very much to apply like a queer lens or a queer perspective to try and understand why this film resonates so strongly with queer people. Because I, I know that it does. And I was like, oh yeah, this is going to be super obvious. And there's going to be all these like classic queer tropes and things. And I, I really struggled to pick them out. And I feel less clear on the queerness of this film now. So I definitely still like it. My initial reaction the first time that I saw it was very much, oh, this is great. Why the fuck is she wearing a wig? And that was my reaction the entire time watching this movie again. I find it so incredibly distracting <laughs> and I can't figure out why they did it. I know why she did it. She was but, bald. Uh, she was bald mm-hmm. because she she shaved her head for a role in Empire, Empire Records. Oh, that makes so much sense. Yeah. Another great film. It has bothered me for the entire time this movie has. <laughs> it's Sarah that's wearing a wig, yes? Yes. yes. Yeah. Her and wig it, line comes up, up up once in a while. You can see it here. Yeah. yeah. It like it has a, it's it's awful. It's a terrible wig. It's I'm one of those so movies. I'm so glad that, I know why that that's such an It's so obvious. I'm <laughs> embarrassed. The almanac says today we'll bring an arrival of something. Yeah, wonderful. I'm getting my rag. A new wholeness and with it a new balance. Earth, air, water, fire. Maybe it's our fourth. We don't need a fourth. Nancy, we need someone to call all the corners north, south, east, and west. Or would make a circle. Maybe she can be our fourth. <laughs> Come on. I love a woman in uniform. <laughs> When you are choosing to watch this movie, you need to have already accepted in your mind that this was created 25 years ago. Mm-hmm. Because, oh my God, it hurts that that's the right number of years. But <laughs> it is, it's got a very 90s optic to it. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's great and cheesy flashback with the fashions and the aesthetic or whatever. But just some of the elements of the, the storytelling, the set design, the production quality, which is fantastic. If you are, you know, a millennial viewer, so someone who's the same age as me watching this film now, it might be a little bit jarring because it very much looks like what 1996 looked like. Like even just like the soundtrack, can we talk about how fantastic the soundtrack is? Such a great soundtrack. It's just like from that yellow lettering coming up in the front, you're like, ooh, this ain't murder she wrote old, but this is old. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> well yeah and you're right like, i love the fashions i love the fashions of this movie i thought i thought the girls and apparently there's an ongoing oh, joke where Stephen, as, that makes me sad no i me sad i that love the way first, nancy looked the first dress that sarah wears that oh i'm never talking about sarah with the horizontal stripe we're talking about nancy we're talking about oh, nancy. nancy we're talking about bonnie bonnie actually had beautiful outfits bonnie even when she was covered up was yeah like i i loved her outfits i loved i actually and i loved the soundtrack so like acknowledge that the filter looks like the 90s you're gonna be frustrated maybe a little bit with sarah's wig now you understand (laughs) why 
Go watch Empire Records. It will totally make the wig situation more bearable. Mm-hmm. But it's a it's a great film that really stands. It stands up. It just yeah. look, it just I... looks as old as it. <laughs> you could wait. You know, I mean, just until you got a school uniform, you don't have to go now. I can't stay home and watch daytime TV for the rest of my life. Why not? I could. Oh, just yeah. want to okay. get started and get it over with. You look good. You look yes. good. Good luck. Jenny will pick you up. A lot. Are you sure? Yeah. We start the movie with Sarah coming into a new home, which, by the way, is stunning. Like, Q90's angsty teenager who just doesn't like anything, but that house is fucking gorgeous. With their own ensuite bathroom? Yeah, of course. Like, if you're going to have, if I'm going to be an angsty teenager in the 90s in a movie, I better have my own mansion with my own bathroom and walk in closet because I'm beautiful windows. Yeah, because I'm a white woman in the 90s. And she ends up going to the school. The first thing is that Bonnie notices that Sarah is using actual magic in class. And at this point, the other three girls have just been, you know, chanting, collecting, reading. They don't actually see or do magics. Um, but when Bonnie that sees we know it, of. that we know of, uh, but apparently in original scripts, um, they were saying that Sarah was the only one who actually had any sort of magical abilities and the other girls were siphoning it from her which was interesting. Hmm. I found that interesting. And I think they should have dived into that. Sarah was a natural witch and the other three were spiritual witches, which is they could do the magic. But once they, Sarah joined the coven, she completed these, the, uh, the corners and allowed them all to do magic, like more stronger magic than they can possibly do themselves without she her. Basically leveled them up. She's here. She who? Someone to be the fourth. She's the one. Feeling okay. Yes, I also saw this movie back in 96. And I think this is one of the movies that really started me on my interest in the occult because where like boys my age were football and Power Rangers and, and you know, trucks and all the bullshit. I was into witches and magic and wizards and witchcraft and dragons. And I love that stuff. And so... I think it, you're right. It, it's hard to to understand why trying to find queer elements in this movie was difficult because it's not, it doesn't have any. I mean, I can understand where a lot of um, women, like uh, queer women would, would be drawn to this, similar to how we were drawn to uh, the covenant. But I think as a gay boy, seeing strong, mysterious, powerful women it drew me in. Absolutely. I think that's why I consider this kind of a queer movie because queer boys saw this and were really drawn to it. While this movie doesn't appear superficially to be an LGBT movie, I think that if you uh, actually look into the deeper context of the movie, there are certain times where if you uh, put like a, an LGBT perspective on it, or if you look at it or question it with that light, you go, oh no, 100%. I also find that like it, queer children are, are drawn to movies about people who are misunderstood and no one is more misunderstood than those three girls. And different. Hi. Hi. You're Sarah, right? Yeah. Hi, I'm Chris. Um, I just wanted to apologize for those guys in French. They're assholes. You know what they say, you are what you hang with. Yeah, right. Wait, did you just call me an asshole? You did, didn't you? I'm sorry, my defenses are up. People here have been really rude to me. Oh, really? 
Who else? These three girls are behind you. Don't stare. Oh, shit. It's the bitches of Eastwick. What? Hey, whatever you do, stay away from them. Why? Well, you see the one on the right? She's a major slut. I mean, I don't know from experience or anything, but... And the one in the middle, she's got these burn scars all over her body. I haven't seen them, but friends of mine have. Anyway, they're... No, never mind. What? What? They're witches. Witches? Well, that's what people say. Skeet Ulrich shows up, Chris. He looks at them and says, oh, you don't talk to them. She's a whore. She's got, she's a burn victim because of course you've got your fucking jock who wants to, to be the man of campus. So he'll make everyone believe you're a slut and all of a sudden you're a slut and everyone hates you. And it's so, I hate shit like that. I'm I'm from a small town and this was all very real to me. I'm like, yeah, I get it. (laughs) (laughs) Did you have like a skeet all rich? Um, Yes. And I won't say his name right now in case he ever listens and still wants to beat me up. <laughs> <laughs> oh I will God. say, okay, if we're, if we're going to do like a, a bullying segue quickly, I will say that in the smallest school I ever went to was when I was living in BC. Uh, I was in middle school because that was still a thing. And I was the, not only just the new girl, but I was the girl from Ontario. I wasn't even from this province, let alone this island. And these kids had all grown up together forever. So I was 100% the outsider. And I was brutally bullied. Like, like I used to come home crying. I like, it was, and it was the typical Skeet Ulrich boy. I still remember his name was Graham. He, I was friends with his girlfriend. Keep in mind, we're like in grade six and he had a girlfriend. But he used to tell me the walls were jealous of how flat I was. (laughs) Proved you wrong now, bitch. And he used to tell me that I was such a loser that I would blow sheep. Grade six. Uh, And and it was him and then three of his, like, guy friends that would come over and just, like, verbally berate me all day. Like, it was was brutal. It was really, really bad. Mm -hmm. Like, I was emotionally destroyed and torn down as a what 11 12 year old so hot stuff how'd it go i look up your date with chris what are you talking about chris already told everybody you told everybody what that you guys did it but we didn't do it well maybe he was just trying to save face then because he was going around the whole school saying that you're the lousiest ladies ever had and coming from him. It's pretty bad. <clears throat> no, he did. He did. He said the same thing about Nancy. Told you he was a jerk. I think that's exactly what this movie kind of hits on with you and most people, and and especially in the gay community, is that these girls are able to live out the revenge scenarios perfectly. Mm -hmm. They're able to, uh, the white racist girl loses her hair in the shower. Mm -hmm. The really popular guy falls in love with the the girl that he tormented and spread rumors about. So it's it's a very interesting because I feel like most of us, myself included, would love to go back to high school or whether in high school, have that revenge scenario pull out, like to to completely play out for me. Mm-hmm. Because I would feel a lot more 
at peace with the amount of abuse and verbal abuse. Oh, and I would just love the opportunity to tell them off. Exactly. A hundred percent. I don't need a now. scenario. I want the rhetoric and sass and uh, like wherewithal of the 32 year old, you know, confident woman that I am today to go and verbally eviscerate <laughs> some of these small children. A hundred percent. But I think that the problem with that is, is that like, Hindsight's twenty twenty. Where in, when you're in it, you just want that confidence at sixteen or eleven or twelve to or just walk away. You are just to walk away, but also just to tell them exactly what is wrong with what they're doing. Yeah, and have the confidence to know that the next day you show up to school, you're not going to be. It's not going to be even worse. Can I talk to you for a second? Chris? I'm sorry. Chris is really busy. Maybe we could set some up for um, a nice jacket later in the week. (laughs) Why'd you lie about me? Look, I don't want to go out with you again, okay? Please, stop begging. It's pathetic. Hey, Chris. Fuck you. Nah. But I will. She's gonna cry. And then I'm gonna cry. We're all gonna cry. Oh God. It just it reminds me of when you were saying nineties everything. Brecken Meyer isn't. Oh my film. god. It's like the things that you need for a nineties movie. You need a high school setting, you need Brecken Meyer, you need Skeet Ulrich, and you need some girl that regardless of how strong and powerful she is, chooses at some point in the film to leave with her breasts. <laughs> because Sarah's great and all powerful and as she becomes more powerful and scared and she's running around her house all of a sudden I'm like who runs like that why is it just her breast leading the way like what is it about <laughs> her fear that is stimulating her to be like I'm just gonna expose my breasts and let them leave PJ can you explain that to me do you think that that was the legitimate oh, way that any girl would that makes me think of something really funny actually when I was a kid uh, one of my best friends <laughs> We, I guess one of us was slouching and my friend's mom goes, T-I-W, ladies. We were like, T-I-W. She's like, tits in the wind. <laughs> and it, it was like to remind us to have better posture. But so you you lead tits first, Chad. That's just how it's done. But she didn't have good posture because her shoulders were all slumped into the back and she's just like, I'm so scared. As long as my breasts are out, I'm okay. Like this film is great, yeah, but you're gonna, the, you're, you're gonna be the, irritated. The hardness of the nipples will tell you whether or not there's evil magic in front of you. But it's totally legit. Like, look at other movies of the time, like Jennifer Love Huge Boots. Like, this is where that oh, yeah. quote comes from. Hey, I know you have a snake. Hey, wait a second. I have to talk to you. I had a dream about you. In my dream, you are dead. Listen to me! Come on, Sarah, let's get out of here. Come on. Oh my god! No! What is it? Is anybody back there? Oh, it it hit him. him. It hit him. The car hit him and we made it happen. Oh my maybe, god. Maybe, maybe not. Yeah, definitely. I thought to myself, it's gonna hit him. I thought it too. Well, I thought it too, but that's Sarah, did you think it? 
Yeah. Well, then that's it, you guys. Sarah's a fourth, north, south, east, and west. We can make things happen. I mean, this is it. This is real. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> I actually just want to point something out because I found it very interesting. When Sarah is at her place, and again, aloof to the fact that she's in a beautiful mansion, um, a man walks towards the house with a snake and says, don't you want this snake? And she, it looks like she audibly screams, but they didn't dub her actually screaming. And then, because I think just the impact of her screaming wouldn't make any sense for the motions that happen next, because then she's like, dad, dad. And then he runs down the stairs. Um, she meets the guy again on the street in a, a area that I don't even know why they're there, but she sees That's him. How they get to that shady area where they have couches set up and stuff, because it's like clearly the bad part of town. Yeah, but she sees, true. So she sees him and he says, hey, I had a dream and in the dream you died. And she keeps, he keeps following her. And then eventually he ends up, this homeless drugged man starts stumbling into the road and they all stop to look. He gets hit by a car and in the which a way, in in such a way that his head would have been squashed like a pumpkin. He dies. Huh? Oh, his head went under the tire. That doesn't mean it's going to be squashed. It was traveling at a pretty high velocity where they just bounced. Oof. It's still scary. So it's magic. It's magic. Thanks for hearing that, Chad. (laughs) But that's the point I'm getting at where they're like, I wanted that to happen. Did you make that happen? We all made that happen. See, see, it's like, what? She's like, I thought he was, I wanted him to get by the car. I wanted him to get hit by the car too. Me too. (gasps) Me too. It's like, honey, a drunk homeless guy stumbled into a busy street. Yeah. He's going to get, you have, you have a, a sense. You have normal senses. No, that this was them. They did it. it was their magic. That was their collective power coming to fruition because they bonded at that point, And it was triggered by a circumstance of panic and fear, which escalated their natural. And it was the first time that the four of them had sort of thought the same thought together with focus. That was where their magical powers aligned and awakened. Because they did it as an act of protection against one of the girls. That was the whole point. Oh, Listen, God. They came to- Sorry, I just watched I the head. Bad, actually. I, I don't know, because I'm like, logic would dictate that, yeah. Well, they killed the guy. <laughs> I drink up my sisters. And I ask for the ability to not hate those who hate me. Especially racist pieces of bleach blonde shit like Laura Lizzie. <laughs> right up. I drink of my sisters and I ask to love myself more and to allow myself to be loved more by others, especially Chris Hooker. (laughs) I know it's pathetic. Definitely pathetic. (laughs) I think it's unfortunate that those girls didn't really understand the ramifications of the deals they were making because even when they went back to the magic shop and the woman says everything comes in threes you it's the power of three will come back to you so if you want to put harm on people it's gonna blow up in your face and then right back when they they cast these spells they're not doing it in a way to get revenge they're doing it in a way to try and like build positivity because what they say is um, i drink of my sisters to love myself more and to have this person care about me or i give i drink of my sisters to love myself with my scars and be beautiful inside it out or i love uh, or to be accepted and so it's the things that they're saying or to, to have the power i think that is very much so the 
the lighter side of the supposed Wicca where, and they try to play that up in the beginning so that you don't see the darkness of Nancy coming to the end. Nancy said, I want the power of men onto myself because I want to to be able to take care of myself. I want to be self-sufficient. I want to have power and be beautiful and be big and Mm -hmm. strong. And it's only when she starts getting it and it really starts, it starts to eat at her until, until she becomes obsessed with it. But I think, honestly, I think it started from a place of good because they hadn't experienced and tasted that magic yet. So, like, going to a field and it was that was the first moment when they actually saw, like, Manon, like, talk back to them. And I think once they realized they had power, that place of good that it came from, it turned very quickly and soured into a place of bad, especially when they're dealing with those very real topics of bullying and are dealing are in it every single day and feel powerless to have be given power imagine what you would do with that knowing that you have the power yourself to to stop this and i think that's when you see a very big turn in this movie where it becomes more about punishing their abusers than actually bettering themselves and you see that farther along in that movie when they go toward the mirror and bonnie and rochelle see that uh, Sarah has shown them what that would look back on them three at times three. So I think that's where mm-hmm. you have to be really careful with like their intent, because I think in the beginning, yes, I think you're right, Steph, and their intent was to better themselves and rise above. But unfortunately, that, it's not, it's not you're given power. It's <laughs> not how it works. Corrupts. Because even yeah. when even when they're in the car, um, Sarah looks back at Bonnie and says, "What happened to you? You used to be so nice, and now you're just a narcissist." And they're trying to justify their reactions and actions because they're saying, "How would you feel if you were like this your entire life, and now I get to be beautiful?" Well, that wasn't the original intention, you know. Hail to the guardians of the watchtowers of the east, the powers of air and invention. Hear me. Us. Hear us. Hail to the guardians of the watchtowers of the south, powers of fire and feeling. Hear us. Hail to the guardians of the watchtowers of the west, powers of water and intuition. Hear us. Hail to the guardians of the watchtowers of the north by the powers of mother and earth. Hear us. Aid us in our magical working on this May's Eve. Serpent of old, ruler of deep, guardian of the bitter sea. Show us your glory. Show us your power. We pray of thee. We pray of thee go to the beach and they're creating that circle and they're using the powers and and they're chanting but what's interesting is nancy says something in the lines of um, come to me and rochelle says us like it's to come to us mm-hmm. and i it's funny because like nancy's literally electrocuted like there's a good five second mark where you can just see her getting completely shot up with electricity from lightning and the girls are like oh she good like, is she fine? Like, your friend is dead. Like, <laughs> Did you feel that? You blessed me. I can feel him running through my veins. He's still in me. I have a theory, a, a weird question kind of theory. I think that Nancy did die on that beach 
because she walks on water towards him as if she had been risen again. She was definitely invoked because she says, I still feel him in me. I feel him inside me. I feel like she's more of a shell than she is a person at that point. I don't think she died. I think that was the invocation of the spirit, Manon. I think, yeah, she's like kind of reborn almost. Yeah. Yeah. Like reborn with power. Yeah. Because she loses so much of herself. But why then at the end is Sarah not the same way? The shop lady describes it. She was like, the situation is, is there's no such thing as black magic or white magic. Everything is both. And it's how it's used or applied. And so it's the invocation of the same spirit with the capacity for good or evil. But when Nancy pulls it into herself, she's She's doing it with negative, selfish intent. She's doing it from a space of trauma. Uh, She's doing it for the purposes of revenge and from a space of anger. Whereas when Sarah invokes that same spirit, she's doing it from the energy of self-preservation, protection, Mm -hmm. saving the day. And so it's the same energy and that recognition of the duality of the spirit and force. But also Nancy, uh, Nancy and Sarah, like Sarah, she's the pillar of the North, which is basically like mother nature. She is the even playing ground. Like she's keeping peace and order in the universe. And that's really what Sarah's character was. She was to, to level out all of them. And she continues that through. And so I agree with Chad. She takes it to a light place, a place of light and a place of balance. Whereas Nancy tipped the scales completely to her side because her need for power and control and chad's right she pulls all that trauma all that upset all that sadness out of her body and channels into her magic listen all i'm saying is i think it's enough already i don't know what's going on with this i'm completely humiliating chris when all i wanted was for him to like me and bonnie what's going on with you you used to be nice now you're completely narcissistic Excuse me, but I spent a big chunk of my life being a monster, and now that I'm not, I'm having a good time. I'm sorry if that bothers you. Do you want in, or do you want to leave the circle? Just tell me right now. Why does it always have to be that way with you, Nancy? Because that's the way it is. All I'm saying is I think you should think, and I don't want out. Chris, he's under Sarah's love spell. It's becoming obsessive. Fully attempts to rape her because he wants to be with her, and apparently love is the answer, and somehow that justifies his actions. I love you so much. I just need to have you. I need to have you in a physical way. And only then will you also feel my love the way I feel it, which is a weird, obsessive way. I feel that's a very male rapist thing to believe that once you feel my penis, you'll fall in love with me. Um, I don't even think it's that complicated. I think that it is. She looked at a horny, horrible asshole allegedly 17 year old boy I'm I'm going to cast a spell that makes you feel like you're in love so a person who's already a terrible person who's already demonstrated his cruelty who's already demonstrated that his main motivation is a sexual focus and then she's applying a filter of love to it like I think obviously the conversation of rape and and full sex. I'm not trying to make light of any of that, but I think that it was that scene where the attempt rape happened is sort of like her wake up call of the power of three because she, and again, it's not an attempt to victim blame. This is a little bit different because there's a magical spell at play here, but it's looking at the impact of her actions by applying this direction to a force that she already knew and recognized as dangerous. Do you think the actual thing behind the love spell, the actual intent behind the love spell was to have 
this this male who victimized her and slut shamed her and lied about her to feel that loss of control that love gives you because this lost any love spell in a movie it usually builds and builds and builds and the love that one feels ends up becoming an obsession they have to have because the the, the idea especially when you look at a lot of films is that a love spell it's not real love it's trickery it's putting someone as your primary focus and target it's not natural love it's not real love it's not actual love so the feelings that he's having for her aren't genuine love because this magic doesn't have the ability to, to create that it's love the way that a teenage girl would expect love so it's like oh like i'm in my fucking well, twilight most love for teenagers is attention most sorry most love for teenagers is closer to infatuation because they don't understand the complexities and depth they don't understand their emotions right so it's like to her she's like i have a crush on him he's all i think about He's my everything. That's love. You know, I want him to want me the same way. Well, let's uh, raise your hand if you ever tried to make a love spell or a love potion or something like that when you were a kid. I'm making right? one for Stuart this afternoon. Yay. I have to assume. You? <laughs> but even in the movie, uh, Chris says to her dad as he's baying at her from, from the street and he looks at him and says, no one can help me because he's so infatuated. That spell is, is, taking such a toll on his body. He can't eat. He can't sleep. All he can do is think about her and it's driving him crazy. Like that, that doesn't, you know, take away from the fact that he tried to like rape her. But it definitely shows you that he's become so obsessed that, and the obsession has overtaken him so completely. It's almost like he needs some kind of physical release, not in the like sex release, but he feels like he needs to somehow make all of the like force, all of these, feelings and overwhelmed he's completely overwhelmed by everything and he's looking for some kind of resolution to it you know what i mean but i think that's so interesting to say because every romance movie of this time has that same mantra that love is you can't eat can't sleep have to be with you all the time but i think this just takes it one up by adding a, a mystical element to it where it becomes a spell causing this where it literally every single movie that has to a teenage movie that has to do with romance the ideal is to have that relationship. And we as mature people know that's not a healthy relationship at all. But that's the shit that we were like, that's the shit we were fed for years. Like you have to right. want only that one person, that special someone, your soulmate, your dream, your everything. You have to want to be with them at all times and you can't be five minutes away from them. The, the jealousy will consume you if they look at someone else and and you have to like, it's such bullshit. But I <laughs> think that Whoever thought that was a good idea to parade in front of like teenagers or kids, like so stupid. But I think that's unfortunately why there are so many people nowadays, like young millennials and Gen Z, who believe that that is the relationship they should be. So when things happen, like when there are issues in the relationship, they equate it to either one of two camps. One, if I'm not having fun in this relationship anymore, this is not love because relationships are work. Or two, I accept this because it is love. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's kind of poised, this this mentality that we all have gained from these movies um, and that, that uh, stereotype in those um, archetypes have kind of poisoned the well of what a relationship should be. So when we actually are in one and it is hard work, it's a very clear, like, this is not what's in the movies. And that's the first thing that I think most therapists would say is that relationships aren't 
in the movie. It's not what you see on TV. It's yeah. not what you see on TV. And I think this is a very good indication of that kind of very dark, poisonous spin. Hey, why didn't you answer the phone? It's three o'clock in the morning, Chris. Oh, yeah, that's a good reason. Hey, you, you know what I was thinking? I was thinking maybe we could move in together. I don't, I don't think I'm ready for that kind of commitment right now. Oh, shit. Well, it's just that, you know, I can't stop thinking about you, and I don't know why, but I think I love you. And I've never loved anyone before except well, maybe my mom and, and, well, this little puppy that I had when I was little. <laughs> I, I think you should go home, Chris. No, Sarah, wait. Please, Sarah, please. Look, I don't know what's happening to me. I, I, I can't eat. I can't sleep. Uh, can I help you? No, nobody can help me. I really hope that in the new version of the craft that they just remove this subplot altogether, you know? But I think that's, it won't, I think there's a certain element to that because love is a thing that no one could have. And I think in most movies and TV shows, anything to do with the occult, you always see a love spell. It was in Buffy, it was in Charmed, it was in Angel, it was in all the other movies that deal with this same thing. Love is an important thing to mention that every single movie that tries to do it, it's always that same thing happens. It becomes an obsession. Mm -hmm. Everyone has a cautionary tale. So I think this movie will do it as well. But it also looks like the newest movie has more of a parental element of it having cast David Duchovny and Michelle Monaghan. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays into it. But it also looks like it's in the perspective of Nancy, like the Nancy character. Yeah, and 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 there is definitely a bully in the school, but I don't think she's going to... The first thing that happens is he sees her, I guess, get her period, and she runs to the bathroom. That was not her period. Like, she was stabbed. <laughs> like, my sister pointed that out. She was like, is that supposed to be, like, Carrie in the showers because if that girl's sitting at her desk wearing full clothes and it is literally running out of her like a wound like that don't make fun of her get her to the hospital because that's a serious issue she's having like someone shot her in the vagina like that is not how periods work it's not a dripping puddle of blood under your body that passes through two layers of clothing Uh, i mean yes it would have it would take a long time it's possible it's possible but me, to go yes. through all that clothes to be dripping like that, yeah, no. Well, yeah. it also looks like it's. It just looks like a fucking Instagram filter on this trailer. Like it's all sparkles and and magics, whatever. Um, the crown trailer. The yeah, trailer but, for the original movie is also terrible. Like if you yes. watch the trailer for this movie, you're like, oh, okay, so this is about witches and they have all these powers, but the trailer doesn't set out what the story is. It's hmm. it's really disappointing because it doesn't do a great job of selling was actually a pretty great story for this film yeah yeah it's also crazy that they've created a remake or a sequel to this movie but this time i've cast it with actual people who are in high school mm-hmm. and so like in preparation for this i was like oh maybe i should watch the new film and i just watched the trailer and i was so jarred by having actual children in it because this movie came out where and in order to play a high school student, you had to be at least 35 years old. (laughs) (laughs) No, but it's true. It would be really interesting to see this movie though and review that movie because it looks like they actually very heavily lean into the LGBTQ undertone. Very that, yeah. So it would be interesting to do a compare and contrast. I think it's too like, if you look for it, you can see the LGBT undertones in the first, like the original. Mm-hmm. But now that we are in a, I don't know, 20 years later or more, 
since that first one came out, you know, we're slightly more aware, we're slightly more understanding and, you know, inclusive as a, a society. So now it's okay to show actual gay people. And I think that they're going to actually lean on that more because they couldn't in the first. She's seen the look in his eyes. It was so weird. It seemed empty, like it wasn't even him. Where would he be? There's a party. At Trey's. No, Nancy. Just leave alone. Don't go. You're not going to help anything. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go play. Can someone actually break down that scene for me a little better? Because I want to hear other people. She tries to sleep with him. She tries to have sex with him. But before that, but before that. So when Nancy hears about what happens, she goes to the house to confront him. But in confronting him. Doesn't confront him. She she doesn't. You have sex with him. Yeah. So she says she's doing it for Sarah, but this is one of those mental manipulation moments where she really just wants to, she says she's going there for Sarah to, you know, avenge Sarah to whatever. But when she goes, she manipulates him into having sex with her or almost having sex with her. Uh, and then basically uh, thereby proving to Sarah that no matter what happens, he's not worthy of you. I am. She seemed to be very genuinely angry and wanted to do something to Chris. But when she gets him in the bedroom, and sees him being vulnerable, then she starts to react like a like a coy child, and or no, let's not use the word child, like a coy schoolgirl, and then is like all over him. And it wasn't until she re- he rejects her, she turns into Sarah. But it's about power. Like that's the thing we're missing with Nancy is it's about power. She wants to dominate, and she wants to, and she comes in there and realizes, yeah, she feels bad for Sarah. Everybody would. And it's amazing for her character that she's, instead of being scornful, that she is empathetic and wants to help. But when she actually gets to that house to have that moment with him, she's overcome with the fact that he's in love with Sarah, spell or no spell, and cast her aside like trash. She wants to dominate him. And the only way that she can see it being done is by turning herself into Sarah, who is the object of both of their effect, uh, their affections. And then when Sarah bursts in, it becomes more about punishing him to show Sarah first how powerful she is and to show him that she can, he has no, he's insignificant to her. Um, and then it's fine. It, it justifies her actions in her head. See, I, I, I totally viewed it as they presented this character who was essentially fundamentally broken from the very beginning. And as her character develops, each aspect of her character development is peeling back another layer of how she's been damaged and hurt. So socioeconomic factors, loss of her father, obviously really young and abusive, drunken stepfather, circumstances with her mom, this history with this guy at school. And so she's someone she can't get a break. Who's but like because of these experiences dealing with trauma and being broken, and then this power is applied to it. And so it's just let's take a mess and give that mess power. And it's just all reaction. So like, even in regards to when we look at the other girls and them trying to put something positive out there, even from the very beginning in that first scene in the woods, even her was just like power, corruption was the underlying goal behind it. Because her her character and personality, like she lost the ability to be nice. Even when um, Sarah first shows up, like she's a total beast to her. Like she's Mm -hmm. just lashing out at all the time in response to that damage. 
And that whole situation with him is, is he had someone that regardless of whether or not she was a sexual liberal person, regardless of what sexual behavior she might have become engaged in, he is someone who had very specifically damaged her in a very focused way by dealing with something with her in a physical sense, destroying her and bullying her at school, and now is going after this person who's close to her. So it was just, I saw that as entirely just a response to her. You're just jealous. Jealous? Jealous? You don't even exist to me! You don't even exist. You are nothing. You are shit. You don't exist. The only way you know how to treat women is by treating them like whores! When you're the whore! And that's gonna stop! Do you understand? you understand what I'm saying? I'm sorry. He's sorry! Oh, he's sorry! 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 Sorry, When he sees the damage he's caused, or at least sees the the repercussions of his actions, when she starts to kind of like float towards him and he sees that there's some craziness going on, he says, I'm sorry. I think that's the moment where she finally snaps. At that point, she's like, oh, now you're sorry. Now that you can see that I'm strong, now you're sorry. Not when I was weak, not when I was sad. Now that there are consequences, you're sorry. And exactly. She, yeah, I 100% agree with you. She's yeah. like, now you're sorry now you're sorry because in the beginning of the movie so uh, it seems like she has a very strong emotional connection specifically to bonnie because at the beginning of the movie um even when bonnie's like i found her i found her and she's like calm down like she's being more of like a big sister to bonnie and to the point where bonnie's like please take away my scars please take and she's repeating the those words you can see that it's really affecting nancy because nancy is trying to like do some little bit of like a healing thing on her back and if you look at nancy's face Nancy understands in that moment that this may not work. And the more that Bonnie is like talking about it and getting really emotional about it, Nancy has to look away. If you notice, she looks away to the fire because she's starting to cry because she's like, I don't know if this is going to work and it won't help her. Um, So I think at one point you can definitely tell that. I, I wonder if with Sarah's appearance in the group, Nancy saw these two as like her safe space her safe net she didn't she herself says we don't need a fourth we have each other and then with sarah coming and showing them the power and then nancy then gaining that power like it it just shows that that devolve of herself like she just loses them altogether and only wants to be focused on revenge and focus on herself but i also think too that it wasn't so much sarah i think it was the fact that sarah ended up just completing the power uh like this power, the pillars of power. Mm-hmm. And whereas Nancy was the strongest personality of the group, Bonnie was mousy and weak-willed. So was yeah. um, so was Rochelle. Yeah. Like they both were like these very weak characters and done that. They're done in a way where Nancy was the alpha. Yeah. So when they, they didn't need her anymore, she devolved. Yeah. She had, didn't have a reason to be in that. She didn't have a reason in her mind to be part of that group. So she had to control. So she one-upped herself. She powered herself up and she yeah. was then the head witch. Yeah. And then it became, it just became more and more about control for her. I know I'm a little crazy. 
I don't mean to be. It all got out of hand, and I'm sorry. No more games, okay? Sarah, I'm so sorry. Good. I'm gonna go. One thing first. I bind you, Nancy, from doing harm. Harm against other people and harm against yourself. Wait! I bind you, Nancy, from doing harm. Harm against other people and harm against yourself. Wait! I bind you, Nancy, from doing harm. Harm against other people and harm against yourself. I bind you, Nancy. So Nancy's character, I find to have a lot of depth. There's a lot of character development with the little time that they have with her, but it's how they deal with her at the end that kind of bothers me. It's a very 90s trope of bad girl gets punished. When to me, there was so much happening with Nancy that I think they should have been, there should have been some sort of rehabilitation, not just throw her in the nut house. You don't want to go the way Nancy. It's like, no, there's a lot of damage there that has to be fixed. What are your but thoughts? I, I agree. But I also think too that she's killed Chris. I think that yes, like there needs to be rehabilitation and and some responsibility placed upon people who abused her sexually, verbally, um, emotionally, and the place she came from. But there also has to be a certain amount of like, this girl is nuts and needs to be at least for a time locked up to get the help that she needs and having an almighty power at her fingertips probably wasn't the best <laughs> for someone as unhinged as she is. Yeah. And I think that the actress carries that, that pain and that, that um, sadness and that kind of want to be better than she is throughout. And that ends up being her undoing at the end. I think, and what a fantastic actress. Yeah. She was in American history X too. And it was, she was amazing in that movie like as well. She's so good. And she emotes so well. She steals every scene she's in, even when she's not talking. Yeah. She was an actual witch. Like she was an actual practicing Wiccan mm -hmm. when this movie came out. Um, and served as like a consultant uh, for the movie, as well as an actual well-seasoned practicing Wiccan who had a coven in, in California. Well, I wonder how she felt about the lines that she was saying in this film, like whether or not she thought they maybe they're blasphemous or maybe they actually had some power to them. They changed things for her. They changed, they changed the deities so it wouldn't be teenagers running out into the middle of California and calling the spirits. Yeah, the deity doesn't exist. Like it's a fictitious creature. So, but it's very close to another god that they were concerned about because things were happening on set that were kind of creepy, like fog was rolling in when they were calling on certain things. And at certain points when, when, um, when Nancy would say certain lines, the power would shut off. Like it was becoming odd. Like they were just saying, this is creepy. <laughs> that's actually amazing. That's I think so it's, awesome. I think it's really cool. I mean, it's just the power of word, right? Like that's, it just goes to show that, you know, if you put enough of your own energy into something, you can make things happen. It's also the power of belief. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's you. It's you. He's, he gave me power. <laughs> I can do whatever I want now. I can fly. I can. Ow! 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 <laughs> 
if you could rewrite this movie and you could give her an ending that you would see fit, what would it be? Because I know you all had a problem, or most of you had a problem with the ending institutionalized at the end. Yes. So what would be the, what would you like to see happen to that character, having known that she is responsible for killing the vagrant Roy Sanders, Chris Hooker, and uh, and attempting to kill Sarah? So I think the thing that we all agree upon is there needs to be some kind of repercussions for her actions. She can't get away scot-free, whether or not it's provable in court or otherwise. What I think would have been more satisfying, though, much like Sarah has the altercation with Bonnie and Rochelle at the end, where they're like, I bet she doesn't even have powers anymore. And then, you know, Sarah turns the skies and lightning comes and a branch like drops right where they were standing. And it's all very dramatic. I think so. Rochelle and Bonnie have this moment where, you know, they kind of still have each other, but they don't have their powers anymore. So they've lost uh, essentially a part of themselves. What would have been the most satisfying for me as a viewer would have been if Sarah had, I don't know, cast some kind of magic with this new invocation of the spirit powers. And what had happened would have been that they all kind of had their memories of what happened or the knowledge that they were bad people to some extent, but they all lost their powers and then they no longer had each other. For whatever whatever weird circumstances, the three of them would have to be separate. So now you have a, a scenario where they can't just fall back into their old patterns and be violent. Like they're each isolated from each other. They don't go to the same school for whatever reason. You know, one is say in prison or one has like their families and suddenly, you know, we have a job opportunity. We're moving across the world. And it's like, they it's the loss of self as well as the loss of their identity and i think that would have been just as much if not more punishment because yes nancy was a little crazy but it stemmed from the magic and it stemmed from the neuroses that she had created and fed off of the other two with so if they lost their magic and their their friendship and their selves essentially i think that would have been one of the more satisfying punishments in my humble opinion. Well, here's the thing. It's sad because I'm sure Chad can bring to this. From a legal standpoint, she didn't actually kill a single person. She did? Physically? Well, that's what I mean. There's no proof. If, if, if you brought her to the police and said, she killed this person. It's like he fell out a window and this guy got hit by a car and this person had a heart attack. She didn't kill. and She didn't kill anyone. Do you know what I mean? As the viewer, mm-hmm. we know that she killed these people by her application of force, which is revealed through the storytelling of the film. Mm-hmm. And based on that, I think that the outcome of her being an institution is the correct, appropriate outcome. Because it's an outcome which shows consequences for her actions. So even though there was bad behavior and trauma and whatever, there's a consequence to her taking that approach of applying these negative energies into the world. So it could be a situation where you're like, okay, so A, they can't prove lawfully that she killed these people. And so in that circumstance, you're like, yeah, well, her dealing with those mental health issues is great. Or it could be a circumstance of B, they can actually lawfully prove that she killed these people. And then still her being in an institution like she is, is still the appropriate outcome. Like I, 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 I really like that outcome to the movie because it shows how they protect the other individuals, how they control her going forward, how there's consequence to her behavior. It opens up the possibility of a potential redemption story because she's getting assistance and treatment and also leaves the door open for that to be a sequel. So by them showing her photo in the trailer for the new movie, 
I think that that's where that storyline is going to be picking up. Whether or not the actress is involved, there's going to be a discussion of, oh, she was locked away as crazy and everyone thought she was a witch and here's how we go about it. So I, I think that from a storytelling perspective, I think it's great. I think from a viewer standpoint of weighing her behaviors and actions, I think that it makes sense. If we're going to talk about how the spells themselves have um, extreme consequences or extreme versions of the, the spells without them really understanding the ramifications, Sarah cast a binding spell on Nancy. Technically, Nancy could be in a regular rehabilitation center because she couldn't harm herself in any way and she can't harm anyone she's with. We as the audience understand that she has killed these people or at least is the tool in which these people have died. A person inside the movie would not see her as the the, the perpetrator of the, the acts, but they would definitely see that this girl is having a mental breakdown. I think because she can't hurt herself or anyone else, she has to learn how to like to live with the choices she made and then become right. a better person. It should have been more of a rehabilitation center than such a cut and dry, she's in a nut house. I would have had it so that Sarah goes to visit her once a week. And you know, you see them kind of like discussing and and seeing that, that she's changing. I, I, I get where you're coming from. I just don't think that that would have been very effective from a storytelling standpoint. They're showing her in an institution. And so you were making the assumption based on only seeing that she's in this bed being drugged up, that that's what it is going forward. But she's in an institution getting medical care. She's currently at the height of a psychotic break and it leaves the door open for that future storytelling of potentially that tale of redemption or her coming back in this sequel as the saving grace with an understanding of her behaviors. Like it leaves the, all of those doors open. But also too, like she scratched her face, like she's a danger to herself. Like they've, they've, she didn't scratch her face. That was the glass. But there's scratch marks on her face, and she's trying. She's violently moving around, and you're seeing a snapshot of like this thing. So I, I would agree with Chad. I hope that she's getting the help that she's needing, but also too, like I think you're putting a lot of work onto Sarah for someone who she basically tried to kill twice, and I think that that's a lot of pressure to put on a character when she is a victim herself. Well, I would go back even farther. I would say before she even gets to the nuthouse point, when, when she starts coming at Sarah, I think in the house, I, I don't know. I think there should have been something different in, in the approach of how do we deal with this person? Because Sarah says, he came to me and he's pissed. And she's like, I'm sorry, this and that. I feel like there's, it, it's similar to Sebastian Stan's character in The Covenant where insanity doesn't equal evil. She's a crazy person right now because she's damaged. She's so fucking damaged from years of abuse. And I think that if there was a, a moment where where there was a moment of compassion. But I think the moment of compassion was that she wasn't dead. Like, I think the moment of compassion was Sarah didn't kill her. Because Nancy would have murdered Sarah. She would have let her to drop, bleed out on the floor. I, I really think that this ending made sense based on the way that the characters responded to the big final conflict. Mm -hmm. So they all show up as the team of the three witches against Sarah. And then when the two underlings, Bonnie and Rochelle, are sort of shown the possibility of what you put into forces coming back on you, they're like, oh, fuck, I'm out of this. And they disappear yeah. and leave and stop the attack. And then there's the one-on-one -on -one interaction between Nancy and Sarah where she's like, hey, he's chosen me now. He's pissed off at you. This is up calm down like this is over and so it shows you that there's that still that opportunity for redemption because nancy's aware that now this greater spirit has chosen sarah but after that moment 
Nancy still chooses to go on to the attack. And it's at that point that that whole scene happens where she's trying to stab her and attack her and kill her in the wall. Because just like the other girls, Nancy was given the opportunity to back off, to acknowledge, to learn something, to choose a different path. And she doesn't. Instead of, oh, shit, I fucked up. I yeah. clearly still have some powers, so I'm not back to square one. Me and my mom still have a new place to live and $175,000 at the bank. So her life is still significantly improved. And she has the ability to walk away in that space. And she chooses violence instead. So I think yeah. that's appropriate. You know, I, I agree with you. I think, I'm glad they didn't kill her. Yeah. But otherwise, I, I think it's the right outcome. I like the, I, I agree with you, actually. Like, thinking about it in that way yeah you're right the ending it does is appropriate and and because we see it in again it's a very 90s movie where you see the padded walls and you just assume she's in a nut house but not really understanding there's probably some rehabilitation going into that 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 system for her funny enough i, I never really thought about it that way until you mentioned it like that and i agree that's why we do this yeah <laughs> Okay, so that was our episode for this week. My thanks, as always, go out to Stuart, PJ, and Chad for joining me on that adventure. If you like this episode, amazing. If not, it probably has something to do with the fact that I record my intros and outros separately, and I accidentally uploaded this without them the first time around. So I apologize for that 10 seconds of dead air you had before and after the episode, but you can let me know all about it. You can find me, S-J-M-A-R-O-N-I, that's S-J Maroney, on Instagram, you can also find more information and clips of Rebel Without a Closet at RWACPOD, also on Instagram. We'll be back on Wednesday with our cutting room floor, and then next Saturday with a brand new episode. I think you'll like it. It's a musical. It's exhausting. Uh, I'm going to go with that. <laughs> I'll talk to you then.